All right, let's get going here. Let's do it. Proverbs 29:18 says in the King James Version, where there is no vision, the people perish. The Jews in Jerusalem and the surrounding area had lost their vision. Remember, we're in the book of Nehemiah as we continue our studies here. The Jews around Jerusalem had lost their vision. Now, they could still see, right? Their eyes still worked. But the spiritual eyes of their heart had gone blind. Nehemiah 1.3 says the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. They knew it, but they couldn't see it. The walls were crumbled. The gates were burned. They just walked over it. They just walked around it every day, year after year, decade after decade. They knew it, but they couldn't see it. So the question comes for us today, how about you? How about me? Is there rubble in our lives that we're walking over, that we're walking around, but we can't see? Where are we broken? Where in our lives are the ruins? What have we come so accustomed to it that we can no longer see it. Today we're asking God to help us to see what we can no longer see. Today we're asking God to help us get uncomfortable with what we've grown all too comfortable with. Today we're asking God, as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. As we continue our series now in Nehemiah, we come to one of those pinnacle moments in the story. Nehemiah has finally arrived in Jerusalem after months of praying and preparation and travel. So please turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, starting at verse 9, and follow along as I read. It says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, And gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me. And I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate and the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good 
and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and they despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. And we ask right now that you would take these words written so long ago, penned by Nehemiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You would grab these words and you would change us today to the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. First we see that for God to give us biblical insight to see things that we can't see, we need to realize that it's not about you. Your life is not about you. As followers of Christ, Jesus says to us, to gain your life, lose it. To be first, be last. To be the greatest, be the servant of all. You know, these aren't pithy sayings from an ancient philosopher. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will find it. For what profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? Mark chapter 8. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? And their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Never would be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10. We're also challenged to seek first the kingdom of God. We're also challenged to hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, just as Jesus' life was not about him, so our life is not about us. That's a pretty radical thing to say in our culture today. But your life is not about you. Everything around us is telling us the exact opposite message, isn't it? We're bombarded every day with a message from every media source you can think of that the focus of life is to pursue your own personal happiness. The greatest achievement you can have in life is to gain happiness. The goal of life is self-fulfillment. Be true to yourself regardless of what the right thing to do is. Be true to yourself regardless of what the Bible is. Be true to yourself regardless of the consequences to others. But see, as followers of Christ, our Lord tells us 
to gain your life, lose it. To be first, be last. To be great, be a servant of all. See, Nehemiah goes through all these challenges to go to Jerusalem, to tackle a problem that isn't his, not to make himself happy. But because he had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And also because of verse 12 says, God had put it in his heart. He was on a mission for God. So until we're doing what God has put into our hearts, we're only surviving in this world. We're not really living. The first step to start to see what we can't see is to start to see the rubble in our lives, is to stop just looking for our own happiness, to take our eyes off of ourselves, and to start to focus on the real purpose of living, to give, to serve, to follow, to radically Follow Jesus and his priorities. See, your life's not about you. It's about the joy and the purpose we have as true followers of Christ. For our life to be about Christ. Galatians 2.20 should be a verse every one of you know. Galatians 2.20 should be highlighted, marked, memorized. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our lives are about Christ who lives within us, not us. Well, next to see about the, the spiritual eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, we need to look for what we cannot see. After being in Jerusalem for three days, Nehemiah goes out at night to make full inspection of the condition of the walls and the gates. Verse 13 through 15 describe his investigation. The situation was so bad that at one point he couldn't even get through the rubble while riding on his donkey. There wasn't enough room. Verse 16 makes it clear that the officials and the people didn't know that he had gone out to inspect the walls, or they didn't even know his plans or why he came to rebuild the walls. At this point, I'd just like to say how impressed I am with Nehemiah, right? What a smart guy. What a godly man. What a caring man. He came to Jerusalem with a very specific purpose. He had come with the authority of the king. He had come with the provisions of the king. He had come with the protections of the king. He had come with a burden from God on mission. He could have walked into that town and immediately called a meeting and start telling the people what to do. He didn't do that. Everybody in Newtown, they, they knew he was different. His clothes, his accent, his supplies all showed that he was someone of significance and importance. They all wondered why this man and his entourage had come so far, yet he spent three days Three days getting to know them. Spent three days for them to get to know him. Most of the town people, if not all the town people, by the end of those three days, knew Nehemiah by name. Probably knew some of the story and his family heritage. I think they also knew something else about Nehemiah. 
after those three days that Nehemiah had come for their benefit. They didn't know the specifics, but they knew that this man was on their side. That this man had come to help them. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. After three days and a night of inspecting the wall, Nehemiah now announces to them why he had come. In the first sentence of verse 17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? They didn't. You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned? He's been there three days, and he's already using the plural pronoun we. Did you notice that? Do you notice he didn't say, do you see the trouble you are in? He said, do you see the trouble we are in? Fully identified, fully integrated, fully part of the town, fully one of them. The problem isn't yours, it's ours. Nehemiah was totally and personally invested in these people and in their problems. Great, caring leaders become part of the solution. Great, caring parents become a part of the solution. Great, caring friends become a part of the solution. It's not just your problem to solve. Good luck. Good luck with that. Hope you can figure it out. Rather, it's our problem. How can we work it out together to make the situation better? Are you the kind of person that stands back and says, hey, it's not my problem. Are you the kind of person that lovingly comes alongside the person and says, we can do this together? We have to remember that the walls have been broken down for 140 years. No one standing there listening to Nehemiah had ever seen the walls not broken down. None of their parents had ever seen the walls not broken down. It could probably be that, that maybe a very elderly grandparent would have known someone who was around before Jerusalem was conquered and had seen the walls. But probably in reality, it was their great-grandparents or their great-great-grandparents that would have had a chance to see the walls intact. For at least four generations, they've been living with the rubble in their lives. Now, one way to think about this is to compare it to your memory of the Civil War. Anybody here have memories of the Civil War? The Civil War ended about 150 years ago. Obviously, none of us have any memories of the Civil War. None of our parents have any memories of the Civil War. Julie's uh, grandmother, 100 years old, she had some relatives that she remembers that fought in the Civil War. But it would have been the great-grandparents and the great-great-grandparents who actually have memories of the Civil War. The Civil War is to us as the destruction of Jerusalem was to them. It's been a long time. It's been a long, long time that the people have been living amongst the rubble of the fallen walls. So long. They didn't see it anymore. So long they'd just become part of their lives. So familiar. It no longer seemed sad. It no longer seemed bad. It was 
normal. The problem was obvious. The situation is grim. But the first thing Nehemiah has to do in talking to the people is to help them actually see. To actually see the broken walls. To actually see the trouble that they are in. Folks, that's us. That's you and me. When's the last time that you prayed for God to help you to see what you can't see? To help you, help you be sad about something that's become normal in your life. To help you be broken about what you've become comfortable with. We can get used to the sad. We can even get used to the bad in our lives because we no longer see it. It's true. We can get so comfortable and so used to the sad and even the bad in our lives because we can't see it anymore. Well, I want to do something different in the sermon this morning, right now. I want to take a moment right here in the middle of the sermon and I want to pray. Pray for us. That what I just said, for that God would help us to see and as we're going through the sermon, that the Spirit would give us insight into our lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now just with this whole thought running through our heads about living with the rubble of our lives, about being comfortable with the ruins of our lives. We're accustomed to our brokenness, so much so that we don't see it. So, Lord, we pray right now, we pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and through your Spirit, you would give us insight into our lives. And you would start to use these words in the story of Nehemiah and the power of your Spirit, the forgiveness and the hope of Jesus Christ, to help us deal with the rubble and not ignore it. Jesus' name. Amen. See, beloved, correctly seeing the broken pieces of the rubble in our lives is only the start. Next, we need to ask others to help you rebuild. Nehemiah could not build the walls for them. He could help. He could inspire. He could do a lot of things to come alongside of them. But they had to do the hard work of repairing the walls. Look again there at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. These are great words of encouragement and hope. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And then I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. You see, when we can't see clearly, or we've just grown so used to the rubble in our lives, we need someone to join us, to come alongside of us, and to say, come, let us rebuild what is broken in your life. The hard work of repairing our broken walls is the responsibility of each person. But only a short-sighted, even careless person would try to rebuild all by themselves. You know, we have this saying, God will not give you more than you can handle. I want to tell you something right now, categorically. That's wrong. 
That is terribly wrong. That is false. Man, on a regular basis, God gives us more than we can handle. On a regular basis, our life's burden grows greater than we can bear. On a regular basis, we can't make it on our own. That's okay. That's the way life is supposed to be. Because if, if it's only us, if, it's, if, it's, if, if we could handle everything, then what are we even here for? Then why have a Bible in Jesus? You know, because it's only when we come to the end of our rope. So often, it's only when we come to the end of our rope that we actually start looking for the help, the healing, the change, the growth that we need. So you look around your life, and you see piles of brokenness and rubble. Instead of just ignoring it and pretending it's not there, instead of just learning to live with it and becoming comfortable with it, Deal with it. But the task is too hard, you say. Well, great. That's exciting. Because that's exactly where the right place, where Jesus comes, and you find the help, the hope, the encouragement that you need. So listen now. Jesus comes and he's putting his arm around you. He says to you, come. Let us rebuild what's broken in your life. Our church is putting their arm around you and is saying to you, come, let us rebuild what's broken in your life. I would not be standing here today, not even close, if I've not reached out for the counsel and for the help and the encouragement and the hope when God opened the eyes of my heart to the rubble in my life. Beloved, it's not weakness to seek help. It is wisdom to seek help. I still have piles of rubber in my life that are way too big for me to handle. I'm regularly brought down and discouraged by them. But I've learned a great lesson over the last 30 years. It's not weakness to seek help. It's wisdom. makes me think of my favorite illustration. See, there's this guy who's walking down the street and he falls into a hole. The walls are so steep, he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down the hole and moves on. Then the priest comes by and the guy shouts out, hey, father, I'm down this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down the hole and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our our guy's saying, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before. And I know the way out. That's awesome. That's the kind of friend I want to be. So maybe today, for the first time in your life, you're able to more clearly see some of the rubble, some of the brokenness, some of the ruins that you've never dealt with, that you've just been walking around, that you've grown accustomed to. Well, today can be your day to say no more. No more pretending. No more ignoring. Today I'm going to be honest with myself. 
Today I'm going to be honest with God. Today I'm going to choose wisdom. I'm going to get the help and encouragement I need to grow and to learn and to change. Jesus is waiting and wanting to help. Your church is waiting and wanting to help. The townspeople saw the piles. The task was huge. It was impossible. The ruins had been there for generations. They could have just dismissed the whole thing. So Nehemiah didn't just come along to help them. He he wasn't just some motivational speaker. He also told them that it wasn't about him. He's not the one. He said in verse 18, I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. The work of rebuilding the walls wasn't a civil project. It was a spiritual project. The work of rebuilding the walls was not just to restore and rebuild the city, but to restore and rebuild the people. As they were moving stones and mortar, they were rebuilding their reputation, their hope, their future, their dignity. They were reconnecting with God in a deeper way, with his plan, with his purpose, with his scriptures for his people. They said at the end of verse 18, Let us rise up and rebuild. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. It was the reality that God was the one orchestrating all of this. That gave them the hope. It was a reality that God was behind all this. That gave them the motivation and the strength to put their hands for the good work. So let me say to you, Jesus stands poised and ready to come alongside of you and to help you deal with the brokenness and rubble of your life. This church stands poised and ready to come alongside of you to help you deal with the brokenness and rubble of your life. Why? Because it's not about us. We all have brokenness and rubble. That's not about us. It's the hand of our God that has been upon us for good. So now you see the rubble in your life, and you're ready to seek the strength and the wisdom of God to deal with it. But you can be sure of one thing. You have to be prepared for opposition. Sanballat and Tobiah and Gresham are mad. They don't want what's best for the people of Israel. They want to keep them living in the ruins. They start to stir up trouble to stop them from rebuilding the walls. We'll see later on in Nehemiah that the opposition was a serious threat. Part of the challenge for the townspeople was not just the overwhelming task of rebuilding the broken walls, but doing all of that in the face of opposition and conflict. The task is already tremendously hard. And now it's just gotten even harder. Now, if that's not true to real life, I don't know what is, right? Invariably, you start to rebuild the brokenness, the ruins of your life, and you face opposition. And it only gets harder. For example, how many times have you started to exercise? Think about this. How many times have you started... To exercise, right? There are many important physical and health benefits. And so you make this commitment, this plan to exercise. The end result's important. It's desirable for your health and your future. You've got the time. You've got the gym memberships. You've got the outfits. You're ready to go. Even starting to exercise isn't so bad. But soon the inevitable sets in, right? It's hard, Your muscles start to oppose you. Your muscles start to do their best to discourage you. Sore and tired, slowly you start drifting away from exercise altogether. The simple analogy is true 
for so many important things in life. When you start to deal with your life issues, the goal is awesome. The process is hard. You know, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. Sometimes the opposition is ourselves. We choose to hold on to our worry. We choose to hold on to our anger. We choose to hold on to our disappointment. We choose to hold on to our bitterness. We choose to hold on to our self-righteousness. Falling back into the comfort of the old paths rather than doing the hard work of dealing with the rubble in our lives. Sometimes we can just so easily make excuses for not dealing with the brokenness. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't have the time. You know, I'm too scared. I'm too weak. The problem's too big. It's just easier to live with it rather than to deal with it. Of course that is. When it's not, and the brokenness rears its ugly head, and it tries to take us down. But you know, sometimes the opposition can come from family and friends. They so often mean well, but they give poor advice and non-biblical counsel. And instead of dealing with the brokenness, we fumble and fall. The task of rebuilding is hard, and the opposition from within ourselves and from others is real. So how can we ever succeed, right? You're telling yourself, this is hard. How am I ever going to do this? Verse 20 tells us. Verse 20 tells us, the God of heaven will make us prosper. See, the only way to tackle the hardships of dealing with our brokenness is to stay focused on God. Nehemiah knew that the task was too great and the opposition was too real. If it could have been done by human effort, don't you think they would have done it in the last 140 years? You know, the task was more than they could handle. But God, the God of heaven, the sovereign, all-powerful, all-loving, all-caring Lord of lords, with him, nothing's going to stop him. You see, this takes us back to our first point. That's not about you. See, the reason we deal with our brokenness, the ruins, the rubble of our lives, isn't just about us. It's about becoming who God made us to be. It's about becoming who God wants us to be through him and for him and by his strength and for his glory. If it's all just about us, we can just so easily stop when the going gets hard or the opposition comes at us. But if we're doing it for God, with God, through God, by his strength, in his grace, through his truth, for his glory. The God of heaven will make us prosper. We're now coming to a time of communion. We're now coming to a time where we get to reflect on Jesus. And how he served us and how he sacrificed for us. How it wasn't about him, it was about us. I can't think of a better opportunity for you to Start to apply these truths from God's word into your life. In our communion time, there's time for prayer and personal reflection. Use that time today to ask God to help you to see what you can't see. To help you more clearly see the brokenness of your life. And then ask him for help. Ask him for strength. Confess your sin. Ask him for help to seek the wisdom and help of others. Thank him for his salvation, for his power, for his hope for his plan in your life. Today is your day. Today is the day 
for you to be honest with yourself and to be honest with your God because the God of heaven will make us prosper. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this account of Nehemiah, this rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. And we thank you for how it applies into our lives. Lord, we are broken people. We are people with rubble and ruins in our lives. We are people with hurts and disappointments and discouragements. And Lord, you've brought us through so many of that. To your glory and to your grace and through the power of Jesus Christ, you've raised us and sustained us. You've given us hope and encouragement. And I thank you so much for that. Lord, we also pray now that perhaps there's rubble in our lives that we've grown accustomed to. And now in this song and the communion time, Lord, just expose those areas to you. We open up our lives to you. Teach us and help us through wisdom to deal with it for your glory so that we might be the men and women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.